Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Revelation 15. Revelation 15 is your finding your place there. In God's Word, I want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream this morning. Also, Reach Church DeSoto, grateful you're joining us in the venue service right down the hall. It's good to have all of you with us today. Before we head into uh, Revelation 15, we need to pray this morning in a couple of very specific ways. Number one, we want to pray for our Nicaragua mission team arrived yesterday uh, safely there with Project Hope that will be serving this week. This is exciting because this is really our first organized trip of just uh, broadly based people from our church. We've had some uh, very uh, specific teams who would go just to test the waters. This is our first real group going. And so we want to pray for them, pray for their safety and their travel, pray for their effectiveness in ministry, and pray that they return safely home. And so we're excited about that. But secondly, we need to pray this morning for Ukraine. We need to pray. We need to pray specifically. We need to pray not just today, but we need to be praying. We need to be fasting and praying that God's will will be done, God's protection of those people. Uh, How about a president who says, I don't need a ride, I need ammo? Um, That's pretty powerful. And uh, we do need to pray for him. We need to pray for the leadership of Ukraine. We need to pray for our leadership. Uh, We need to pray for divine intervention and that God will would be done God's kingdom would grow pray for the protection of those churches and those pastors who are serving there these are difficult days we do have southern baptist missionaries who serve in ukraine it's uh, to the best of my knowledge uh, yesterday and and friday seeking to discern i believe that all southern baptist missionaries have been evacuated out um, of some of those regions, and, uh, but you can imagine their difficulty in leaving people that they have been ministering to and caring for, her, for and leaving them behind in deplorable situations in the midst of a war was very hard for them. There's a refugee crisis that's coming out of this, people who desperately need aid and support and help uh, that never thought they'd be experiencing something like this. And this is when the people of God need to unite in prayer that God's will would be done, that he'd protect his people. And, uh, and so we're going to pray right now, just very specifically. Before we do, the psalm that came to my mind, uh, even this morning as I was praying, is Psalm 46, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. We rejoice in that today. Amen. God is our refuge and strength. And we pray for the Ukrainians that that God would be their refuge and their strength. 
Let's pray together. God, we, we thank you that we, we come before a sovereign God who is sovereign over all of history. You make the wars to cease and cut the spear in two. And God, we pray right now, just as that psalm is a reminder of your intervention on behalf of your people, Israel, we pray right now for your intervention on behalf of these people living in Ukraine. God, we pray for your supernatural, divine intervention, your protection upon those people, that, God, you would meet their needs. God, that you would remind them that you are with them. And we pray very specifically for the believers that are there, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would have the confident affirmation that their brothers and sisters here in America are praying for them that we unite with them today. And we pray that you would show yourself strong on their behalf. We pray for their president. We pray for their leadership. Guide them, direct them. God, we pray for our president. We pray for our leadership that you would intervene, God. We pray that you would put godly men supernaturally in the presence of our leaders to give them godly biblical wisdom. God, now more than ever in the midst of these things, we are reminded of how desperately dependent we are upon you. But we are thankful to know that you are sovereign, you are in control, and you are good. And if we ever have cause to doubt your goodness, we have only need to look to the cross where you sent your son Jesus to die for us and to give us the ultimate victory over sin, Satan, and death. So therefore, as the psalmist says, we will not be afraid. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And I encourage you to continue to pray. Um, This is a time in which we need to pray like never before. These are critical days. And so I would encourage you uh, to find ways and opportunities to fast and pray. That God would move, even as we're leading up, we're going to give you some very specific ways in which you can be in prayer as we move towards Easter. Um, We're praying that God would move and uh, that God would bring revival. Is God able to bring revival if he wants to? He is, and we're going to pray and seek that even during these difficult days. Well, Revelation 15. Revelation 15, as we get into... Uh, if you've read ahead, you know the judgment of God. You know, there, there's a lot of, there, there's always been anxiety about the future. Um, to some extent, there's always been a bit of anxiety. And if you're not at least a little disturbed over what's happening today, something's wrong with you. We, we've always looked to the future with a bit of fear and anxiety. But the Bible tells us, Scripture tells us, that the ultimate fear that we have in the future is the judgment of God. <laughs> That the ultimate fear that we have, that the the one reality that looms on the horizon of history has always been the judgment of God. That God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world through a man. And we have preached that, 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 that the church has always preached that. And we realize we preach that to a world that for the most part mocks it. Um, it was true in, in Peter's day. Uh, Peter in 2 Peter 3 said that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the father, 
uh, fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. In other words, we preach this stuff that Christ is returning to judge, that you are not free and autonomous, that you are culpable, you are accountable, and there is a heaven, and there is a very real hell. And what is the response of the world to that message? They mock us. And they follow after uh, their own loss. Uh, that's what happens when you, when you remove a standard of truth. When you remove the notion of accountability to God. Guess what people do? They do whatever is right in their own eyes. And part of the reasoning is this. If God is real, where's he been? If God is real, why don't we see some kind of intervention? If he's going to come, what is he waiting for? And Peter says, what they fail to notice is the word of God. They fail to notice the finality and the sovereignty of God's word. He says they, they, they fail to notice the word of God that by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Here's what they, they fail to notice, that God and his word are sovereign over history. God and his word are final. By his word, we know this, he created the heavens and the earth. By his word, he destroyed the earth in the days of Noah. And by his word, our current earth is reserved for fire. Guess what it's waiting on? The word of God. That when God says he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world, you better believe he's fixed a day. That he will judge the world. I know that throughout the history of Christianity, there have always been those that say we're close. I'm gonna tell you what, I think today, we're close. He is coming. Revelation 15 and 16 tell us about that day. They tell us about the finality of God's judgment and wrath poured out on the world. And so well, I'm going to just pray for us right here as we get into this. We're just going to work our way through this passage as we always do. I wanted to um, 15 and 16 go together. And uh, last night was just the affirmation. Can't do it. Uh, we'd have been here all afternoon. Um, but we're going to pray that God would speak to us in this chapter. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity to come before your word. God, it is so comforting to know that um, you're God and you've revealed yourself to us. I, I, I pray that we would never get over the fact that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. You, you've told us who you are. You've told us who we are. You've told us why we're sinners. You've told us the solution to our sin. You've told us what you are doing. You, you've told us what you will do, and I pray this morning, Lord, by means of your word, you would work on all of our hearts. God, for those that may be watching online or in this room or wherever they might be, if they hear this word, I pray, and they don't know you, I pray, Lord, that you would work in their heart to show them that there is a day of judgment coming, that just because you haven't come yet doesn't mean that you will not come. And I pray that you would shake them to their very core, they would see the depth of their sin. They'd see the beauty of Christ and the reality of judgment. And you would draw them, God. For those of us that do know you, I pray the reality of your judgment would shake us. And cause us to be more bold than we have ever been. 
with the truth of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 1. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. John says, I saw another sign in heaven. He calls it great and marvelous. Marvelous, the root idea there is miraculous. In other words, this is a judgment that's going to transcend our paradigms of judgment. We, we don't have anything to compare this to. We see the seven angels with the seven plagues. These angels that, that serve God will bring the finality of God's wrath to the earth in the form of plagues and bowls that will be poured out. They're, they're death blows that strike the earth. He says here, they're the last. Meaning in them the wrath of God is finished. So here is this scene in heaven, seven angels, seven plagues. And you would expect us to pick up in chapter 16 verse 1. You present the angels, the plagues, and you would expect it to say that immediately God commanded them to go and to pour out the bowls of judgment on the earth. But there's a pause, there's a, there's a break here. Something catches John's attention that he wants to tell us about that I think God wants us to know about and he catches a vision it's very similar to before the the seals are broken in chapters four and five we get a vision in heaven here we get another vision in heaven and in this vision there's two important realities before god pulls it pours out his judgment he wants us to know two things i think very clearly this morning number one he wants us to see the security of the saints those who have trusted in christ they're secure standing in the very presence of God. And then secondly, he wants us to see that his, his judgment issues forth from his holiness, that this is not some capricious God. This is not a God who suddenly flies off the handle, loses it, and throws judgment on the earth. No, this is a God who issues his judgment from his holiness. So look with me, verse 2. It says, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. So John gets a vision of the victorious saints of God standing on this sea of glass mixed with fire. We've seen sea of glass before. You see it in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses had a vision similar to this in Exodus 24. Ezekiel had a similar vision of a sea of glass in Ezekiel chapter 1. John has already told us about a sea of glass before the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4 verse 6. And here we see it again, this sea of glass. And there's a lot of conjecture about the imagery here. But simply put, it means this. This is the presence of God. That here are these victorious saints and they are in God's presence. Also note it's a sea of glass mixed with fire. This is where we get something new. New information. A sea of glass mixed with fire. And there's a lot of conjecture over what uh, mixed with fire means. But immediately it brought to my mind 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 7. You remember in 1 Peter, Peter is speaking to a group of people who were facing severe persecution. And he starts off by telling them that God is great. Imagine that to a group of people who are being persecuted. God is great. But why is God great? Because he's caused us out of his great mercy to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. 
in that good news to a group of people that are being persecuted. He says, listen, it's going to be okay because you have been born again. You have hope, not hope like this world knows it, but you have the hope of God, a confident expectation that you'll be with him. You've got an inheritance that you can't lose. You're going to be there. But then do you remember what he tells them? He says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, being more precious than gold, even though refined by what? By fire. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here, these these martyred and victorious saints, saints stand now in the peace and the security of God's presence and the fire of the trials that Satan and the beast poured out on them did not overwhelm them, did not conquer them. The fire of testing only served to prove their faith and has now resulted in praise and glory and honor before the very throne of God. Here they stand. Standing in the presence of God through the fire of persecution. That they took the worst of all that Satan and the beast could throw at them. And yet here they are, victorious in the presence of God. You know what that is? That's a big na-na-a-boo-boo to Satan and the beast. That you gave it your best shot. And yet here they are, victorious in the presence of God. Just before John tells them about the final bowls of judgment, we're reminded that what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Do you know what I think the final gut punch to Satan in the lake of fire will be? It will be the knowledge that no one brought more glory to God than him. Isn't God good He is so powerful that he can take the worst activity of his enemy and turn it around for our good and for his glory. That's the wonder of the God we serve. So here, these martyred tribulation saints standing in the security, the peace of God's presence have been brought safely through the fire of trials and martyred him. They're they're, they're victorious. And how did they overcome, by the way? We've already been told, haven't we, by the blood of the Lamb. They were victorious, not because they were smarter or stronger, but because they trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And it says, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. They overcame because they trusted in Christ alone, and they were faithful to the very end. And guess what else they do? We talked about it last week. Here again, the more you talk about heaven, the more you talk about singing, because that's what we're going to do in heaven. They sing in verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Song of Moses, song of the Lamb. Song of Moses, there's two songs of Moses in the Old Testament, one in Exodus 15, one in Deuteronomy 32. I believe this is referencing Exodus 15, uh, that the people of Israel, uh, they uh, had been delivered from the hand of Egyptians. You remember uh, that final plague of the death of the firstborn and the blood of a lamb, and they're delivered from Egypt without firing a shot. Isn't that miraculous? And God brings them out, and you remember the Egyptian armies, Pharaoh changes his mind, and he pursues the Israelites, and now their back is up against the wall. They have a huge body of chaotic water in front of them, and they have an Egyptian army that's pursuing them. 
and they say, you've led us out here to die. And what does God do? He parts those waters. He causes Israel to pass through safely to the other side. And then as the Egyptian army pursues them, he causes the waters of his judgment to fall upon those Egyptians. And there they stand on the other side, been safely delivered. They have salvation and deliverance and redemption through faith in Christ. And they sing. They sing about the greatness of their God. And they sing about his judgment upon his enemies. They sing the song of Moses. The, the, the deliverance of God um, for the, the Israelites from the Egyptians, from the bondage of slavery, points us to what? It points us to the ultimate deliverance that God has provided through his son Jesus, that through faith in Christ, we safely pass through the waters of death to the other side to be with Christ and to worship him for our salvation and his judgment. So they also sing the song of the lamb. We've, we've seen the song of the lamb, I believe, already in Revelation 5 when it says, and he, he purchased for, for God, meaning the lamb, purchased for God with his blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to God, and they will reign upon the earth. So it's kind of a combination of these two songs, these two great songs of deliverance. And there's a lot of parallels between the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. The Song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. The Song of the Lamb is sung at the Crystal Sea. The Song of Moses was a song of God's deliverance from the bondage of the Egyptians. The Song of the Lamb is a song of God's deliverance from sin and Satan and death. The song of Moses was how God brought his people out of bondage. The song of the Lamb is how God brings his people into his presence. The song of Moses was the first song. The song of the Lamb is the last song. And both of them together remind us of the deliverance and the salvation of God and his judgment upon his enemies. And what you see in the latter portion of verse 3, the and really all of verse 4, is a, is a summation of both those songs. Look at it with me. Saying, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. It's a song that needs very little interpretation. The song of God's amazing work. His ways are perfect and true. His judgments, as we're going to see, are righteous and holy. But what an encouragement to us. It's a reminder to us that God's people, those who love him, those who are committed to him, who go public for him, who persevere to the very end, we are more than conquerors. That's the picture here of these tribulation saints. That we are more than conquerors. Do you believe that today? That regardless of what happens to us in this world, that through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting the blood of the Lamb, we will be victorious. And it almost comes across to the world as though we're arrogant. That, that's the way the world perceives. Boy, y'all are a bunch of arrogant people. And it would be arrogance if we were trusting in us. But our confidence doesn't come from who we are. Our confidence comes by a knowledge of who is with us. Um, that's what Paul said in Romans 8 when he said, if God is for us, 
who's against us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? And the the fact of the matter is, throughout the history of the church, we've always had opposition. But the point here is not that we don't have any opposition. The point is, if God is with us, what does it matter? If God is with us, what does it matter? Because they can oppose us. But the fact of the matter is, if somebody's going to take our salvation, they're going to have to be a whole lot bigger than God. In fact, Paul goes on to say, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? There's a false teaching out there that says the love of Christ separates us from these things. That if you love Christ and he loves you, then you'll never go through any difficulty. But the truth of Scripture flies in the face of this. From from Abel to, to Jesus, even now as we see these tribulation saints, the people of faith who love God have always suffered. The love of Christ doesn't separate us from trials. The point, though, is trials can never separate us from the love of Christ. That we're not exempt from the trials of life, but we are more than conquerors through faith in Christ. Just as Daniel was more than a Babylonian king and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were more than a Babylon king. And these tribulation saints are more than Satan and the beast. Because as Paul concludes chapter 8 of Romans, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers. Isn't it good to know? No government No politician, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That the world can oppose us, but God's for us. The world can accuse us, but Christ has already justified us. The world can condemn us. They can threaten us. They can even kill us. But nothing. No politician, no government, no circumstance. There's no place you can go that you can be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That Christ is always with you. And the confident expectation that just like these tribulation saints, we one day will gather on that sea and we will sing praises to God. Well, Revelation 15 verse 5 Second truth we see, after these things I looked and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened and seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. And what we see here is that God's judgment issues forth from his holiness. Um, the, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. It was the, it was the temple of testimony because in the holy place, the holy of holies, there was contained the Ark of the Covenant and inside the Ark of the Covenant was those two tablets of stone. It was the law of God. And there in the holy place, the law of God was constantly testifying to the sinfulness of man. That we are guilty. We have violated law, God's law. That you and I have sinned against the holy God. We're We're guilty. We're culpable, and all that we deserve is death and hell. We live in an entitlement culture where everybody owes us something, and we start to project that same idea upon God, that God owes us something. 
We shouldn't have to go through these trials. We're good people. Listen to me this morning. God owes us nothing. And all that we deserve is death and hell. Because the wages of sin is death. You and I have sinned against a holy God. We've, we've violated his law. We have violated his holy standard. In every aspect of this vision, even in what the angels are wearing here, this linen, clean and bright with, with golden sashes, that they're, they're represented here as, as priests. As, and not just as priests, but as priests who are holy and set apart before for God. All of this is picturing for us that as God pours out his judgment, it issues forth from his holiness. Uh, so many people wonder, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? And here's what they fail to notice. What they fail to notice is the holiness of God. See, we, we, we like to be judged by a jury of our peers, don't we? People like us. And when you start making your judgment comparing you to other people, you can always find somebody who's more sinful than you. But know this today, God's judgment is not about lining you up and comparing you to a bunch of other sinners. It's about lining you up and comparing you to God's holy and righteous standard. And in comparison to God, we are all condemned. We are all guilty. The, 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 the question that so many people, they, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? The Bible really doesn't have an issue with that. In Scripture, the question is not how can a loving God send anyone to hell. The, qu the question of Scripture is how can any of us as sinners get into the presence of a holy God? I mean, the, the Israel, you see this. They understood very clearly that God's holy. You don't just enter into his presence. Anybody that attempted to do so either died or they were struck with leprosy. The whole message of the Old Testament, and you don't just go into God's presence. You're a sinner. We are not fit for the presence of God. And the only hope that we have, it's why the whole message of Scripture is not only the holiness of God, but it's about the blood of Jesus Christ, because it's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that any of us are going to be able to enter into the holiness of God. And so we see here God's judgment issues forth from his holiness. Look at verse 7. Uh, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. In verse 8, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God from his power. And no one was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Temple is filled with smoke. It's a, reminded me anyway of Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6 when he says that the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who cried out while the temple was filling with smoke. And you'll remember what was the response of Isaiah? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He began to suffocate on the glory of God. And he was under the firm realization that I am not fit for the presence of God. I'm gonna die. I can't do this. Listen, when, when, when God's judgment falls, it issues forth from his holiness, the overwhelming sense of his glory. And we also see here, it's irreversible. When God's judgment falls, it's absolutely certain. That's what it means when it says that no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Meaning at this point, 
There's no more intercession. Meaning at this point, there's no mercy. At this point, there's no more room for grace. You need to understand this morning that God's invitation to grace is not open-ended. At some point, the invitation is closed. And when God closes the door on his invitation, you remember, just as he did with the ark, which was a picture of God's salvation, he closed the door. And there was no more opportunity for salvation. So it will be at this moment when God closes the door, there's no more opportunity. In fact, the picture here as I read this, if I'm reading it correctly, it almost appears that at the end there will be people who have the realization that I need to cry out to God. But they can't. They come to the realization too late. It's a good reminder. There's no invitation to the gospel at the gates of hell. They come to the realization they can't enter into the presence of God. And so what do they do? They cry out to nature. You remember we looked at this. They cry out for the mountains to fall on them and to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. And people wonder why Why are we so bold? Why are we so fervent about a gospel mission? Why do we send missionaries to difficult and faraway places? We send them there because we believe this with all of our heart. That if people do not hear the good news of Jesus Christ and they do not respond to his gospel invitation, they will face God's wrath and eternal Judgment in hell. And that's a sobering thought. One that causes us to preach Jesus with all of our hearts to our neighbors and our relatives. I know that Christian history is filled with people who have said, we believe the time is short. I'm going to tell you it again. I believe our time is short. I believe with all my heart our time is sure. Sir, sir, short. I know this. We're one day closer to the return of Christ than we were yesterday. And if this doesn't motivate us to tell those who do not know Christ about the good news of Jesus Christ, then something's wrong with us. Because here's the good news of Christ. This is the beauty of this. If you're here this morning watching online, you don't know Jesus Christ... The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God so that no one should boast. Do you know what the good news is of that verse? That salvation comes through faith alone. Meaning that simply today, repenting by means of repentance of your sins and faith in Jesus Christ, you can have your sins forgiven there as far as the east is from the west. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Anybody here today say, well, I'd really love a fresh start. Anybody would say, I don't like the way I've been living. I don't want to continue down this path. The good news of Jesus Christ is you can have a fresh start. You can have a new beginning. You can be made a new creation. You can have the spirit placed inside your life. You can have the certainty of heaven. And Jesus is a prayer way. The Bible says whoever 
calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we tell you today, as the author of Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Rather than face this, wouldn't it be a whole lot better to just trust him today? So, can we end on a high note? Can we end on a positive note? Because this is frightening. Oh, we can a man by the name of Sanford Bennett from Wisconsin, he was a pharmacist. And he had a friend named Joseph Webster. Joseph was a, a musician, a singer, uh, but he also had severe bouts of depression in his life. But these two men, Sanford and Joseph, they were good friends, and they would collaborate together oftentimes to write hymns. Um, Sanford would write the words and Joseph would put it to music. And they collaborated together on some great songs. Um, one day Joseph came into the pharmacy and Sanford could tell that he was, he was depressed, he was struggling. And so Sanford said to Joseph, what's wrong, what's going on with you? And Joseph, after a brief pause, said, it'll be okay in the by and by. Y'all already know where we're going, don't you? And Sanford, this pharmacist, Drew and Ashley over here, y'all can write hymns, did you know that? Maybe. He went back and in a matter of minutes he wrote, he wrote this hymn. And he went back and he gave it to Joseph, isn't this good? He goes, here's your prescription. And it said this, there's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith we shall see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Y'all want to sing that this morning? Can we sing this one? Why don't y'all stand? Pastor Bill, here he is. He better know it in this service because he knew it in the first service. <laughs> so if he forgot, between now and then, we got bigger problems. We're going to sing. We're going to start. There's a land that's fairer than day. Y'all know this. Sing together with me this morning. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Father, what a wonderful notion this morning to think that one day we're going to meet on that shore. 
we think of all those people who have gone on before us. The great saints that we read about in scripture. Family members and friends. And Lord, we can't wait for that great reunion in heaven. God, from this day till then, make us faithful. As Paul said, I'm hard pressed. I don't know which way. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very much better. I think that's the attitude of all of us as true believers. There's a part of us that says, we're ready, Lord. Yet Paul said, if I'm to remain on in the flesh, this means fruitful labor. God, I pray that all of us would have the knowledge today, especially those of us that do know you, that if we are here, if we have breath in our lungs, if another day rises, we have one purpose, one mission, and that's to tell others about the good news of Christ. Make us bold. Make us confident in Christ. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.